Welcome to Series 2, Episode 3 of Leading in a Climate-Changed World by Olivia Mythodrama. In this episode, it's a real pleasure to speak to author, activist and spokesperson for Extinction Rebellion UK, Zion Lights. Zion provides an intense and passionate declaration for the need for immediate action. She talks about how government systems are failing us and how only grassroots action, citizens' assemblies and a true democracy where everyone's voice is heard can help change the way we're living. Robin and Zion discuss the lack of true leadership in the corporate and political world and define the key characteristics needed to drive us forward. We gain an insight into the leadership within Extinction Rebellion and how an open structure can benefit other organisations. We hope you enjoy this impassioned and critical discussion. You can find Zion via her website, zionlights.co.uk, and on Twitter under the handle ZionTree. Please continue to share the podcast and email hello at leadinginaclimatechangedworld.com with feedback, suggestions or recommendations for the podcast. Over to Robin and Zion. So welcome everybody to our podcast series, Leading in a Climate Changed World. It's a great pleasure today to be talking to Zion Lights. Zion is a TEDx speaker and author of The Ultimate Guide to Green Parenting. She has an MSc in Science Communication from UWE and is a spokesperson for Extinction Rebellion UK. She is also the founder and editor of the Extinction Rebellion newspaper, The Hourglass, and you can find her at zionlights.co.uk or www.hourglass.news. And welcome, Zion. Great to talk to you today. Hi, thanks for having me. So maybe we just start with, you could, you could just tell us a little bit about the work you're doing with Extinction Rebellion and also how you see that has been evolving since its inception. And of course, because this is a leadership-based podcast, it would be interesting to hear your reflections on how the leadership has also been evolving. Okay, so um, my involvement really began with um, actually a different team completely. Um, this often happens with Extinction Rebellion, you just get slotted into something and I was perfectly capable of doing it, I was attending a me- meetings, but it wasn't sort of where my most uh, passion or skills were. We call this in XR, we call this like the, the XR butterflies, people who float around before they find their space, which is important to, to, to um, sort of understand that in a context of there isn't, because there are no leaders and there is no boss, there's no one to sort of slot you into a role. It's very much about getting in and then flying around, finding out where you belong. And um, then I ended up in the media team, which is where I should have been because my background is media and I'd been a magazine editor for seven years. And we were talking a lot about how to reach outside of, you know, the echo chamber of climate activism. Um, we have a great podcast. We have a rebel radio station now. Um, we have XRTV launching so ma- so many great initiatives. We have a book, we have all the leaflets, but they are very much within the echo chamber. So um, the idea of the newspaper came about because of that and was founded as a model for kind of a for reaching outside of the echo chamber, reaching people that were not already reaching and, and hard to reach um, individuals who maybe trust print media more than a lot of the younger generation do and who you know if you post it through the door or leave it at the workplace are likely to actually pick it up and read it um, even if they're not following us on any social media channels or even if they don't use social media and b um, to show the world what a model of climate reporting could look like so it's not an extinction rebellion activist rag it's just not it's if you have a look at the content it's news reporting and 
commentary on you know social commentary like any paper um we actually don't mention any party politics so in a way it's less political um than your average newspaper you know there's no trying to sway you in terms of any of that it's literally just what could a model of climate reporting look like and that was um you know a to show the media what it could look like because we feel that they're struggling and they're not really giving it giving the climate emergency the space and time and focus that it needs so that increasingly they are because of pressure from groups like extinction rebellion but you know it will still be sort of here's a one-off feature this week or here's a segment at the back it needs to be climate reporting like world war ii war reporting all of the paper was given over to this emergency even the rations sorry the, the recipe page would become about cooking with rations for your family you know the commentary would all be about the crisis that that's the sort of thing we're looking at so it's a model um trying to trying to lead you know lead on lead on that and um it's it's been really successful actually and we've even had we ran one cover story which was kind of like a breaking story because it was about the um the number of environmental defenders who get killed around the world for doing exactly the same work that I'm doing and actually a lot of them indigenous people and at the same time there's a lot of evidence that indigenous people are really important in in terms of protecting the environment because they caretake the land like hectares and hectares of forest which is really crucial to protect and that's a UN report found that you know it's not just my opinion and that report said actually their methods are better than ours so let them caretake the land and in fact instead they're being murdered so we you know it wasn't something that people didn't know but it was just something that wasn't really in the public you know people weren't discussing it it wasn't really in that kind of um framework for discussing the issues around climate and it's really important part of it so we had that as a cover story and was really pleased that it was picked up by quite a lot of other mainstream papers and we had um some of the people that we'd interviewed were then contacted and, and that was really great because it felt like not only were we trying to kind of show a model of climate reporting we're kind of leading as well and uh, yeah it's it's been really phenomenal the growth of it's been phenomenal um, what, what sort of readership do you have what sort of numbers do you get to so we print 180,000 copies a month um, and that goes up every month but there are there are aims to increase that but it's um yeah i mean there are high ambitions to to increase that you know a hundredfold and i need a bigger team <laughs> it might happen um and they just so um the model of distribution is quite interesting so it's all distributed by volunteers so what happens is every month when the paper lands um 10 or 12 distribution points around the uk um take the paper in so just people's homes they take the paper in and then they other people come and pick it up and distribute to their areas and you've got people going in high vis with little hourglass symbol um stamped on their high vis and bags and and delivering them like giving them out um at train stations at tube stations they give out thousands thousands of copies um and you've got people posting them through doors i've had um handwritten letters you know i've had a handwritten letter from someone who had it posted through a door a lovely old lady who just said thank you and can you make sure you know i always get a copy um we've had someone from a care home say thank you for posting it because we only get you know junk mail and i i think it's a great great paper so um yeah it's reaching really unusual people i don't know exactly how many people are reading it um it also um it's left it, it goes to sort of bins outside of tube stations where you know the evening standard and the metro are and it goes to about i think it's about 25 asda stores um they so should you, you're funded companies. you're funded through advertising wait no no we don't do oh. any advertising at all purely through donations through crowdfunding oh, okay completely yeah um, so it sounds like it sounds like a great. I'd I, I haven't yet read a copy. I have to confess. So I'm, I'm hoping that a copy will find its way even to sure. the far flung 
reaches of northern Scotland where I live. Um, but I'll definitely look out for it when I'm, when I'm next in London also. Um, and it sounds like one of the ways that you've been working with leadership, let's say within Extinction Rebellion, is also, also to, to allow people to kind of find their way. You talked about people being Extinction Rebellion butterflies, and then you kind of finally land somewhere. And I'm wondering if you could say a bit more about the kind of distributed leadership model, as sure. I understand it, that, that XR practices. Because you have kind of visible and named founders, but you also have a very distributed leadership model. Mm. Yeah, so we work in different teams, which we call circles, and we use a self-organizing system. And actually what I've just said about the newspaper is a really good example of that, because I came into the media team, I looked um, at what I and identified what I felt was a gap that was missing, put forward a proposal and said, let's launch this newspaper, and then put a team together. And I managed that team, and although the media team will have give me feedback and they'll you know they'll um, look at what's going on, they don't uh, you know I I just manage that little team and that's how pockets work all across all the circles. So in the media team you'll have the couple of people who are coordinators who manage the social media team, and then there's a couple of people who manage you know um, the the press inbox the the press team that's the press team and that's you know journalist requests and setting up interviews um there's someone who manages the spokespeople um and, and spokespeople training for our kind of official spokespeople which you know anyone can be a spokesperson for xr we're very um open about that but we just provide training for some of the tougher slots um it's quite minimal training to be honest but it's just so that you know you feel confident if you're going on television and someone might be quite heavy with you um so yes, but, but what I would say is the, the thing with all these circles is there's so many. And so I'm in the media and it's huge circle. And there's so, I mean, it's all on the website. If you have a look, um, there's so, so many circles branching off that. And, and often I don't know what half of them are doing um, unless I actually have to work with one of them. And so then if you look away from that, you also have completely different circles that I'm not involved in at all. So you have the political circle and you've got the action circles. So they plan a lot of the rebellion. They plan a lot of the actions. Um, and they're planning the next rebellion that's coming up in the summer this year and they work autonomously as well and independently and again they can put out a strategy or proposal and i can have feedback on it but ultimately it's their decision so it's very much um kind of there are lots of leaders and there are no leaders because there's nobody in every circle overseeing everything that's so, probably the so, easiest way to describe it right i mean i i think i'm a little bit familiar with a model like that but the the question that will arise in many people's minds i think is so who's coordinating all that? Nobody. Right, and it and it's so it works. Well, like actually, all right. What I'd say is, there's the self-organizing system is also a circle of individuals who try to oversee everything, but they don't. They try to make sure there's flow between groups. There aren't big gaps uh, of roles missing, and that there isn't too much overlap. So there aren't the same circles trying to do the same things, but they're not doing anything more than that. They're trying to look at structural issues and make sure structurally it's all it's all solid and it works but they don't they don't lead in any way i would say so if you were to quickly assess the upsides and downsides of this as a model for an organization what would you say what's your experience of that so downsides are that yeah you know you need a quick answer to something there's not one person or a few people you can go to and you sometimes have to go through six or seven people to find out the answer or to find out, you know, I'll go through three or four contacts Someone give me a different contact. I'll ask them, they give me another contact before I find out one answer to one question from another team for something that I don't know that's happening. But it's not that they're not transparent. Um, so often then they'll send you some kind of working document that they're working on and everything is very transparent. And then I'll find everything out. But it's not easy. There isn't just someone to go to. But I feel like 
um, that's a really small downside for all the pluses, which is that there's so much, so much autonomy. It's really empowering. And I found it really empowering with the newspaper, being able to draw different people in from different teams and work with them the way that we do. So, you know, we have photographers and we have artists and we have all, lots of different writers and interviewers and all kinds of stuff like that. And I can just, you know, I don't have to get approval from anyone. So long as I stick by the 10 principles and, and the principles of XR, same for everybody. It's really equal in that way. Um, and anybody can just jump on board and get involved. And, you know, it's just really open, honest, I feel like honest way of, of working, um, which, yeah, I wouldn't change it for the world. Now it'd be really hard to go back to a different, to a top down way of working. Yeah. And I was just wondering then whether you think it's a pro appropriate as a model, organizational model for any other kind of organization. I mean, clearly it works a lot for a good campaigning activist organization like XR, but do you think it would work in a mainstream organization that's either sure. a publishing company or something Well, else? actually it, it seems to be taking off. So um, I hadn't paid too much thought to this until I got asked to speak at um, a, a, what was it? A British Natural History Consortium conference um, earlier in the summer in Bristol. And, um, the talk that I was asked to give was in the context of old and new power. And so because of that, I read up a little bit on it and was really amazed that actually people are studying this and there it's very clear change over the last decade or so from an old, what they call old power. It's not my terminology. It's like the official terminology, which is this kind of top down approach to uh, new, what they call new power, which is this kind of distributed model. And actually they gave some different examples. And one of the examples they gave were Ted talks. So originally it started out as, you had to apply to a group. They made a top-down decision, but then the model became more, they wanted to make it fairer. So they used new power model to distribute it more evenly so that um, regional groups can now set up a TEDx group and they can do their own talks and they don't have to ask anyone. It's not hierarchy from original TED. Again, there are basic principles you abide by, but that all of, the, all of that content is seen as equal to the TED the original TED model. So there's lots of different examples that I learned from then that I thought actually it was really interesting because then the, late, the lady who spoke after me who'd studied these models, she kind of asked the audience, well, who works with old power? And everybody put, put their hand up and who works in new? And I was the only one. And then she said, who, you know, who, who, would, who would prefer, who, who, who believes that they should be in the position they're at? And I was the only, again, the only one. So actually a lot of people recognised me. And that was a lot of people from traditional environmental organisations who wanted to learn, you know, how they can affect change, but are kind of in a way very limited by that structure. And I think actually that's why that structure is kind of slowly fading away, which is, which is great. Yeah. And I think that in the communities movement that I also know quite a bit about, there's, we call it sociocracy like sociocracy has these kind of circles with with linkages between circles and i think some of the same characteristics that you're describing is becoming increasingly sure. popular there too so maybe we could expand the conversation now a little bit to look at firstly like what how is it going from an xr point of view like you've been in existence for a few years now many people on this podcast series reference you as one of the sources of hope the kind of game changer many people say it's a game changer mm -hmm. extinction rebellion plus the climate strikes you know greta thunberg all that those are the game changing elements in the system but i'm wondering how you see it are you optimistic now do you feel making headway so it I get asked this question a lot and it's always a difficult question. Um, we're only just over a year old actually. So in that time we have achieved a lot. 
Um, and yes, with Fridays for Future helped to change the dialogue and helped to get climate crisis on the agenda. And I was doing this for a long time in my work before and was very much felt alone in it and I wasn't getting anywhere. So this for me has been really phenomenal and incredible. But it, it, I mean, in terms of hope, you know, none of our demands have been met. Um, and there's a lot of discussion within XR about how we can affect the change we need, which we, we, because of the scale of the climate and ecological crisis, we just don't feel that it's enough. We don't, we don't really feel like, yeah, we're winning. And actually, you know, it's like war, isn't it? There's not really any winners. Um, things, things are getting worse. Think, look at what's happening in Australia. That's, that's climate reality now. That's going to continue to happen. That's a billion species, a billion animals, you know, um, that we've lost through the, through those bushfires. So it's hard actually to be optimistic or hopeful. Um, you know, we have an immense privilege and I think in a lot of ways duty to act here because like, as I say, many environmental defenders around the world are killed for doing the exact work that we're doing. And many of them are on the front lines of the crisis trying to protect, you know, actual um, rainforests and things. So it's, hot. It, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I'm optimistic and I wouldn't say that a lot of the people that I know who work in XR have a lot of hope either. Um, I mean, it's great that it's giving other people that. And I think that's part of, it's empowering them and it's showing them that look, Everybody, lots of us do care. There are a huge amount of us that really do care. But in terms of affecting the change that we need, you know, feel, don't really feel that that's happening. And that's that's really demand number three is is the um, demand for the government to set up and be led by citizens' assemblies. Don't know how much you know about this, but actually, you know, over half of UK councils have declared a climate emergency with a day ranging between 2025 and 2050 to achieve net zero emissions and set up citizens assemblies and that's all from local groups you know local extinction rebellion groups lobbying them and getting involved in that side of it um but you know the government hasn't hasn't really responded um in any way to any of our demands and um that third demand is really important because what i see when i look around now what, what all of us are seeing is people are afraid right so you've got australia's on fire and scott morrison says it's normal. This is just what happens. It's not climate change. You know, this is happening all around the world. The world leaders, in quotations, you know, they're, they're not really leading. And, and actually, I think a lot of that is fear. It's a real huge crisis. It's an existential crisis, you know. And who, who wants to look at that in the face? It's terrifying. And the courage that I see that we're getting is from people like Greta Thunberg. It's coming from ordinary people. And that's what that third demand is about. It's let's give the decision-making power for what we're going to do to save what we can and protect what we can and salvage what we can from the ruins of what we've created, you know, to ordinary people, because that's where I see the courage. And, and there is a lot of hope in that, um, because you remember that not, you know, perhaps things haven't gone so well, but that, that was a minority of people, really, that's a minority of, you know, politicians and corporations that have fueled all of that. And most people aren't, aren't that. And actually it's time to take back that power and it's time to, and it's got, and again, it comes back to the power model, doesn't it? We have to change that. It's got to go. It's uh, well, I would say it has to go back to something fair, but I don't remember when, I don't know when we last had something fair. I think it's been a slow erosion of democracy for quite a long time. And the citizens assemblies um, really represent a true form of democracy, a group of people listen to experts. These would be scientists who know all about, transport or energy or whatever sector it is that we need to focus on listen to them and make the decisions that need making because that's you know ordinary people have the courage to do that and they don't have the influence i think even when you get politicians and leaders who really mean well there's so many vested interests involved they just 
they can't make the decisions even if they want to so actually let's give that to ordinary people and that's where a lot of my faith and my hope and, and optimism lies definitely i mean i've seen ordinary people glue themselves people who've never protested before you know this is why i, I gave up my my job and just threw myself fully into extinction rebellion because i saw that in people and thought this is great if this is bringing this out in people it's about time we did this because previous movements you know they, they i mean have achieved incredible things but the the one thing they've missed is this system change and that's what we're really about that's our number one thing is system change this system has led to a crisis that could destroy all life on this planet it is not fit for purpose the system has to go the system has to change that's really important that people realize that yeah and i love the passion with which you speak about that also it speaks to my heart too and i'm but what i'm imagining if i was to map this system mm -hmm. i'm trying to see where the bridges get built because you have let's say citizens assemblies Fridays for Future, Extinction Rebellion, lots of people at that level. And I think that's also where you're experiencing a lot of what we might call leadership, like people saying, yes, we can and, and galvanizing mm -hmm. people. And then the political leadership seems to be doing something very different over here. And corporate leadership is maybe doing something else. Mm -hmm. How do we build the bridges so that all the wonderful activity that you just so passionately and eloquently described here actually has an impact Mm. on the political and corporate leadership that actually hold a lot of the levers of power mm. as constituted at the moment. But we've been doing that for a long time. I mean, I've been in, in climate activism for a long time. I was in Camp for Climate Action 10 years ago, trying to affect that change. And I just, I don't think that it's going to, I mean, you know, there isn't, we have an entire circle called citizen assemblies and we have a political circle. So they, they know more about this than me and they work more in these areas than me. Um, so just, giving my kind of view on it my take on it is that those 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 people held up by those systems have failed us they have allowed us to sleepwalk into this crisis you know um which could end all life on the planet they it's got to go they've all got to go and i've said this directly to uh people that i've met i met some really big you know ceos people who work quite high up in some banks and things like that and they've said look you know yeah you know we'll join you and i said we're not asking you to join us we're not trying to convert anyone to a cause that's not what it's about we want you to either have the courage to make the decisions that need making now today to bring down emissions to bring down global temperatures or step out of the way and allow ordinary people who have the courage to do it right and my question it. right i get that my question really is who is listening like who, well who, i mean so who, there are a lot of have, do you have examples of people where you feel like yeah you've made that kind of direct sure sure so there's a lot of um politicians who are on side i would say and there are but again this is but that's what i'm trying to say that they you know it's one thing to say you're on side and you support it but what's the action what's the action and is it on the scale of the emergency and actually there's hardly any of that and so we have massive celebrities politicians you know um endorsing us and, and giving us money and coming in and being in our videos and all of that but are they actually what are they putting on the line because you know a lot of us we're putting our liberty on the line doing these actions closing roads and climbing on you know we don't want to have to do that but but it's 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 putting it on the agenda and that's the only thing that has been able to put it on the agenda in a decade of climate activism these are the first things that have worked so actually I wouldn't say there is really anyone who's come forward <laughs> from the existing yeah. power models who really grasps the situation to a degree where they're going to take the action that needs to be taken. Right. That's very sobering, though, because, you know, earlier I interviewed Jonathan Porritt and he basically said the same. 
I said, where on the planet do you feel there is the political leadership that we need at this time around climate emergency? He said, nowhere. I said, where on the planet do you see the corporate leadership that we need? He said, nowhere. You're basically saying the same. I mean, yeah. And, you know, and also the other thing I'd say is that 10 years ago, they were pretending that they were making these changes because I listened, you know, and I saw, all right, they've, they've got these targets, which we set our own, you know, emissions targets, which actually we're, we're on track to miss. Um, you know, and, 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 all, and all of that, I think a lot of us heard that and thought, great, we've got this crisis in hand. I had children thinking we had it in hand. And what happened is, talk about sobering, the IPCC report came out, the 1.5 warming report. And it was actually that that galvanized both Extinction Rebellion and Greta seeing that and saying, what is the point in going to school and going sitting on our own outside school? Because that report showed actually not just how little we'd done, but how much worse things had gotten. I mean, I cried reading that report. I couldn't believe it. And, it, and it's not, you know, an opinion piece. It's just data. It just says, here's where we are. Here's what we need to do. And you look at it and you just think, we are nowhere on track to do any of these things. And if we don't do it, here are some of the things that will happen. And they're horrendous, terrifying things. And that's just talking about keeping below 1.5 degree. And we're on a trajectory for, you know, three to four degrees. I mean, yeah, th there's been no leadership. There's only been lip service and pretense and that's that's another danger with this uh government's 2050 target is it's leaving it to future governments really isn't it it's not if we had an earlier target they'd have to show now what are you putting in place right now to make sure we bring those emissions down and actually i saw a report that said at the moment they're not even on track to meet a 2050 target because they're not making those changes it's all lip service so what will what will or what might make a difference to that just constant pressure. I mean, this is what we're doing is constant pressure and trying to redistribute the power so that it comes down to people. So for example, this, you know, the, the council's thing is really positive and not just the council, but many organizations who've declared their own, um, you know, climate emergency. So I just saw today a press release came out through to my inbox that the National Trust has declared and they've set a net zero emissions by 2030. So actually for a lot of businesses and organizations and councils are doing it anyway, then it almost doesn't matter what the government is setting as their target, you know, almost, I say almost though, because of course they're giving out lots of money in fossil fuel subsidies and things that we can't, you know, we can't influence. And that's where the problem is in, in the distribution of power. But we certainly, as a society, I would say, people are very sharp to it and they're really making the changes, looking at how their businesses can get those emissions down. Again, we're kind of leading the way uh, and it, it takes real courage and I have so much respect for everybody who's doing that. But uh, the people who actually, you know, give out all the money and decide you know how much we're going to invest in energy and what we're going to do with the roads and the airports unfortunately we just have to keep you know well i would say lobbying but i'd say you know we keep doing what we do and keep rebelling against them basically and just hope that just hope that something comes of them and maybe it won't but you know um i'd hope that things like the the fires in australia and increased flooding here you know things like that will really start to wake more people up so that it gets to a point where it's a minority of people who are holding on to that power who are not acting and they they can be you know step out the way basically yeah i hear it so your theory of change if you like is is about a redistribution of power that ultimately we want to put more power into the grassroots into citizens assemblies more and more councils are doing that and and you've got more and more people on the streets and and and, and local communities that are getting engaged mm -hmm. and maybe politicians and corporate leaders will follow but even if they don't there's a certain amount that that 
businesses and, and communities can do for themselves. That's the kind mm -hmm. of that's that's how you're working with it at the moment, with a degree of passion and urgency. But also, it sounds like a degree of frustration that people are not really listening and paying a lot of lip service. There is a lot of frustration. You know, I still feel a lot of betrayal that they they didn't act. I was learning about global warming in school. You know, we've had so much time to act, and no one in all of that time, no one had you know the courage to take steps in this direction let's protect i mean you had i saw a speech by margaret thatcher in 1987 to the un have you seen that environmental speech you know, she was a scientist she understood what was happening global yeah. warming and she said everything then that we're saying now nothing's changed nothing has changed things got worse and that's it's so damning i mean i don't know how these people sleep at night really and we have a culture of no blaming and shaming. It's very sort of, all right, we're all complicit in the system. It's very hard to be outside of that system, to live in a better way because of the way it's set up. And it's no single individual's fault. But at the same time, we do know that there's been masses of money put into climate denial that slowed change and climate delay, which is another term people are using now, just delaying the change that needs to happen. We do know that some of the biggest corporations, the biggest polluters knew what was happening. We, they knew that, that what they were doing to the environment and they carried on anyway. We're not saying, you know, stick them in prison, blah, blah, blah. We're always saying is, you did that, now step out of the way. It's time to step out of the way because we need to try and fix everything that we can now. And, and there's not a lot of hope to fix a lot of it. It's, countless species will go extinct we have to live with this reality now i saw projections for where i live here in devon by 2050 um for what they think the weather will look like what they think the flooding levels will be and it will basically be where i live now will be perpetually flooded it will be underwater i won't be able to live here anymore you know that's the reality we have to live with it, it, it's really sad and it's really horrible but at the same time um it, that that reality still doesn't seem to be reaching the people with the most power and i think there is i think it's a fear thing you know that it's just so much safer and easier to look away because looking it in the face you have to be you know really strong in yourself you have to be you know Gre greta saying i have seen this this is what's going to happen can we take action now please you know so we we need that i mean someone who anyone who stepped up now and decided to take leadership on that would just Come on, they'd be remembered in history. They'd leave such a legacy. Um, if you were to, I agree happening. with all that, if you were to list some of the characteristics that you think leaders need now, what would you say? Like if you had like five top qualities or characteristics. Five top qualities. Um, so courage. Courage. Um, spoken about, yeah. Also, I think compassion, because mm -hmm. this isn't, so we often use warlike terminology when we discuss these things, we need warriors, you know, and it, because it's very difficult to get away from that kind of language, but actually the world has seen enough war, right? What we're talking about is defending. We need a def someone who can defend and protect. We're talking about guardians even, you know, uh, who, what can we do to protect the last of the dying species? I mean, I saw the report that said, we're gonna have one, one in four, one in four species here going extinct. What, what will exist by, my, by the time my children are my age? just yeah. cockroaches and rats basically you know there's not going to be any what can we do to protect now what can we do to protect land so yeah um also um so courage compassion also science science literacy like a really basic amount of because at the moment there's mm -hmm. very few people in government who are science literate and, and actually that's why there's so much denial is that they just don't understand and they don't understand what 99% consensus of scientists means that's a huge consensus you know anyone who who works in science knows that actually 
it's really hard to get scientists to agree to that at that level. You know, there's often so many nuances data, in data, but they've done so much research now. There's no question that we're causing this, you know, so science liter literacy is a must. And I think um, forward thinking, someone who's forward thinking and can actually, which, you know, you don't tend to get that in politicians because the system is set up in such a way that it's about short termism. Mm -hmm. And that's not serving us. And especially with a crisis of this level, you can't think like that. You've got to think ahead. What are we going to save and protect and salvage for our future generations? Mm -hmm. What are we going to do to prevent the food riots that are coming? You know, there's already been droughts all over the world this year flooding i mean you know jakarta in indonesia they had that drought that displaced tens of thousands of people in india there's a report that says that 40 percent of india won't have access to drinking water by 2030 that's really soon you know what's going to happen with all this mass displacement with crops not growing we need someone who's forward thinking who has courage who understands the science and probably the first, fifth trait is able to listen like listen to ordinary people listen yeah. to experts and just act on that i mean is it so hard to ask for such a person you know all of humanity what we have to offer i think there are those people out there and we just we need to make space for them is what i think because actually i think the, the way the system's set up is that it doesn't value those people if you look at people like bolsonaro and trump Johnson, they're very different personality. Well, they're very similar to each other, but very different to what I've just described. And actually, that's because that's sister, that system of old power perpetuates that kind of um, that kind of person and that kind of personality. And and it's not served us well at all. And I don't think there's really anyone who disagrees with that. When I say to people, this is a broken system, pretty much everybody. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't have said it before Brexit, but I think they had enough. And and they, but actually, no. Actually, saying that, even all around the world, you know, this last year specifically, there were a lot of uprisings of people against governments just saying we don't want this power model anymore. So actually, I think at the same time, quite a lot of people have been waking up to it and calling for something different. And we stand. I think we stand on the, you know. The, the cusp of great change which could be really positive and that's what we're trying to do is trying to help to push for that change um but at the same time this it's really hard to have hope because we know that this crisis isn't going away no matter what we do brilliant i really like the job description that you've just <laughs> given us and i have two final questions one is you said we need to make way for these people who have those kind of characteristics so my first question is do you think those qualities can be developed in people or is it more the people who are currently at the top need to move and the people who are already imbued or kind of maybe born with those characteristics can grow into it? Or, I mean, it's like, can we reform, change, develop, grow the leaders who are already in positions of power to have those qualities? That's one question. And the second question is really how do you, because I think the other thing that I would probably add into the mix to the, the, the five qualities you just enumerated would be something around emotional intelligence mm. and i wonder how it is also for you and for the people around you how do you manage the intense feelings that you have mm. so that you don't just run 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 and burn mm. out and collapse mm. so yeah um emotional intelligence is probably you know quite similar to compassion um what i was meaning when i said that um so I mean, yeah, sure. People, I think people can learn to be more compassionate. They can learn to be more science literate. But I, I still think that the existing system draws toward it people who don't tend to have those qualities. And obviously, there's a massive generalization, and there are some great MPs out there. And I've met Miliband, for example, 
heart of gold, brilliant, you know, like really pushing for more trees, all of the stuff that he should be doing. But let's remember when he, let, let's remember the way the media treated him, how awful it was. And I mean, look at how they treated Corbyn, you know, whatever your views are on Corbyn, no one wants to wake up and see their face on the papers every day, name calling, you know, it's a really difficult environment for anyone with the integrity, the, the personality that we've just described. You have to you have to be so resilient and you're fighting so many battles. So I don't think that it will work within the existing power models, existing system. But at the same time, in terms of speaking about whether or not those the, that person exists, I see those people all the time. I see in ordinary people. I see in the, you know, the April rebellion um, when young people were refusing to move and the police moved in to arrest them. The older people stood in front of them and said, it's our turn. You know, many of us were in tears seeing this happen. I see it in ordinary people, parents who work full-time jobs, you know, gluing themselves to the side of a tube, you know, to a tube or to, to a, um, to a bus, to the campaign bus during the last election or lying down in the road. I see young people doing it. All of those qualities I see in the people I work with every day. I'm constantly humbled and amazed by, by what I see in ordinary people. And actually, I think that the problem is that the system, you know, with the current system, the, the drive to, to move into that system um, and to have that power doesn't exist in those people with those personalities is what I think, you know, the most intelligent, compassionate people, they don't want to be, they, they, don't, they don't believe that they should be leading anyone, which is why we want a different system where everybody has an equal voice, you know, and there'll still be leaders in it to a degree because there'll always be louder voices, there'll always be people who push forward with the change, but it would be fair, it would be true democracy. So um, yeah, hopefully answer those questions. In terms of managing burnout, I mean, so this is a big issue in Extinction Rebellion because of course previous movements have burned out and collapsed in on themselves. And at the same time, you know, it's such a huge battle. It's such a huge thing. It's a huge crisis to contemplate. Every day I see something in the news, you know, I, I, I could barely look at my phone for a day after the there was that image of that kangaroo, the baby kangaroo that was trying to escape the fire and it got caught in the, in the, and I mean, no one looked at that and looked away, right? It was just, I mean, you did look away because it was horrific, but you did, it was just seared into my mind. Just, just, yeah, just what are we doing? What have we done? And what are we doing? And pictures of koalas running up to people and grabbing their water bottles so thirsty and just thinking, this is it now. This is reality. It's really hard. You know, but I've met people I've been on all kinds of talk shows and TV and stuff and often get this question, aren't you just angry extremist activists? Angry? No, you know, probably I wish I was angry. Angry would, anger would be a great, uh, you know, nice little shield from what's happening. The word grief, grief is what I feel. Betrayal that we didn't act, betrayal that it falls on ordinary people to, to lie in roadside stopping cars just to get people to talk about the issues because our politicians lack the guts to do it. But grief, you know, I see a lot of that. And, and we have an entire circle called um, the regenerative culture circle um, that focuses on ideas of regeneration and, and things like, you know, self-care, you know, um, meditation, 
community protect it? How, how do we protect how do we accept loss how do we accept grief all of these things are, are kind of feeding into the into the, our messaging and into workshops for for people you know the same way we have non-violent direct action workshops part of theory of change we need them for a regenerative theory of change and that's really you know people are really working hard on that now and i've seen some of that coming out and and, and actually on the on the on the the subject of grief you know i've had so much grief over the years i went to a grief counselor and um i said you know i can't bear it i can't bear the loss and i had a real kind of good conversation with this this grief counselor where i said it was a bit like holding hands with a loved one who is dying and you know that there's medicine and you could save them and you're scrambling around and you're begging people for medicine and nothing you do changes anything really is is what's happening and you're you're watching them slip away and i said how do, you know how do i deal with that and and this cancer is really good she said you know actually if they died then you could process that and you could live with it that's how grief works but in the process of dying you just have to learn to live with it every day you just have to learn every day and i said but that person represents the entire natural world every day I see and she said that's what you have to learn to live with and that actually was really good for me to hear because um I was trying to put it away and not think of it and then would just see a kangaroo picture and burst into tears and it was not you know they will that sort of approach will lead to burnout so again it took a bit of courage to really face it and say all right you know what this much loss is real this much death will happen this suffering is inevitable you know um, my parents migrated here from India. India, as I just said, is going to have very little access to almost half the country will have no access to drinking water by 2030. And that's not just villages as well. That's, that's some big cities, including Delhi. What will happen to those people? What will we be watching, you know, happen, unfold? And, and it's just kind of making peace with that. Not, 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 in a, not in a complacent way, not in a, oh, well, there's nothing I can do because I'm doing everything I can but just accepting that me burning out is not an option. None of us, none of us really burning out is an option. And, and, and this, we really have this in our culture of working as well. So yeah. when we have meetings and things, we make sure we check in with how we're feeling and we, you know, people will often say, you know, you, you just said this in a chat, are you okay? Because the burnout thing is always on our minds and, and is actually a, a huge part of the battle in a way. Yeah, I think that's a very good note to, to, to close on. And I'm really happy that you talk about it because I think that's what I mean by emotional intelligence. I mean, one is having the emotional feeling so that I can feel compassionate towards others and, and towards other beings that I, that I want to care for and in a way extend my circle of compassion beyond myself and my family mm -hmm. to something bigger, bigger, bigger. Mm -hmm. But I think the other is making space for these more challenging feelings, whether they're anger, frustration, grief, loss, you know, and, and it's very encouraging to hear you speak about the circles within XR that pay attention to that. And that mm -hmm. I think it's necessary sometimes to go to a grief counselor or to make space for these. I remember talking to a, an African shaman not so long ago who said the one shrine that is always available in the villages in Burkina Faso, where she came from, is the grief shrine. Because if we really feel the fullness of life, there's a lot of grief. Mm, you know, and yes. particularly at this time on the planet, there's a lot of grief and the need to kind of unload that burden of grief and to make space for it and to acknowledge mm. it and to allow it to pass through us so mm. that we can be kind of fit, strong, vital for the, the work that we need to do. That's really critical, mm. I think. So thank you so much for your time, for, also for your passion. Thank you. It's, it's been a very strong experience to also just feel your 
heart and soul in this in the work that you're doing and we just wish you every success you know in xr as i say you've been name checked by many of our speakers as one of the main sources of hope and, and the game changer that's around now that wasn't around a year or two ago mm -hmm. so you know more power to your elbow and 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 we hope that the citizens assemblies i think are a great avenue for deepening the democratic process and bringing the the ordinary heroes if you like that you've also spoken about into more prominence and more influence mm -hmm. so thank you so much for your time Brilliant. and we wish thank you, you success in the future thank you thanks for having me